0: Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Coffee with Bobby. Today, I'm joined with Melissa Wedman. Melissa is the head sugar slinger, aka CEO of Molly Kodlud's Hash Slinger, an artisan candy company focusing on supporting micro small businesses through supply chain. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you?
1: Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm on my third cup of coffee, so I'll try to slow my pace of my speech.
0: (laughs) We're on a caffeine high over here. So if if anybody's listening who's not quite there yet after the show, you will definitely be there today. It rubs off, right? Wonderful. Well, do you want to dive in a little bit into your story and how you started this um, candy company of yours? Sure.
1: Sure. So um, back in 2011, um, we had lost my dad to heart disease um, after a series of open heart surgeries and all that good stuff. And I of course grew up as a daddy's girl. He was a foodie, did all the cooking growing up for our family. Um, you know, And when I got to that age that He'd be at work and you know i can still remember i still have my original cell phone but he'd call me on one of those big old nokia original cell phones and um you know it would have been after school time after i was done feeding my livestock we showed animals growing up um and would have you know either handwritten or called me with directions on how to get dinner started and he would storm through the door from a long day at work and go right into cooking and being a daddy's girl i was just right by his side in the kitchen so That's kind of where my love of food came from. Um, We experimented a lot, a lot of failures, but a lot of really great successes. So when we lost him, you know, each Christmas thereafter, it's like, man, I just I love DIY, I love making things, and I'm a giver naturally. Um, And it was like, what can I do in Dad's memory for friends and family? And I don't even remember exactly how caramel came about in my mind other than daddy loved everything caramel it didn't matter if it was like the toffee little candy bars or a milky way candy bar or just the, a bag of those craft caramels that are really not that great on your teeth <laughs> um you know so anyway i also love challenges and um although by design i'm more of a creative than a math and science gal i do have a degree in plant science so that's a little bit of an oxymoron but is like diving into the caramel world i didn't realize just how much science was behind caramel but further than that i didn't realize how commercialized caramel had become when i looked at the actual history of the candy itself so my goal is like okay if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna challenge myself to make caramel like it was back in the 16 and 1800s really simple ingredients Um, unfortunately what comes with making candy and any food with pure, simple ingredients is a lack of shelf life. So over the course of the years, of course, we've perfected our recipe to give us the longest shelf life without adding preservatives. Our process and our packaging is the preservative. Um, but I know that, you know, and daddy always like from a young age encouraged me to have a little bit of that entrepreneur spirit. You know, we'd go to garage sales together about the time that like eBay was really hitting the market and we would do our research, we'd go home and like know how much that old fish and reel was worth or whatever it might have been. And, you know, buy it for $5 and sell it for $25. So I just kind of feel like I'm living through my dad with this business. Um, it sounds so cliche, but we also don't ever know um, where open doors lead us. And I never imagined in a million years, I'd grow up to be a professional candy maker or even own an artisan candy company, period. That's just, I was a landscape designer by trade. (laughs) So sometimes we just have to run through those open doors. And and now I'm looking at this as a way to create a legacy for our family. Um, But also, you know, dad raised us to be um, very proactive in supporting American made and small, and like support small businesses. So even to this day, I'll go downtown in our small hometown to the hardware store before I drive across town to the big chain hardware store. Um, so that was kind of the focus and the foundation of starting Molly Coddled Hashlinger, which just means spoiled chef, by the way, um, is let's support small, you know, whether it's using an Oklahoma honey company or an Oklahoma pecan company, you know, thankfully we're in a, an agricultural based state so um that fits right in with the food business and makes it easy to source those ingredients um and then if i can't get it in oklahoma rather than shopping through you know an imported company or a larger company how can we source that um which is why our packaging i've I've snagged a little box off the shelf at the shop before i came home last night but it's in a paper box for a reason this is recycled cardboard um from america (laughs) it's not imported so anyway that's just kind of what we're trying to do and and provide that little sweet treat that's kind of the forgotten candy if you will
0: i love it and that's one of the things i love about caramel and or if you're uh from the other part of the country it's definitely caramel but right. midwest folks here who we say caramel, versus too.
1: Praline, yeah <laughs> yeah exactly
0: yeah. um but it's like, I love eating clean and wholesome ingredients. And that's been a staple of my life. You know, like I used to live in Barcelona and to my master's over there. And that's really where I honed in on like fresh ingredients is best. What's, you know, like what's at the market is what you eat. Like Mm -hmm. it's not always what can be imported in and having- all of the abundance of things that we have here in the US on the shelves. Yeah. And like seeing you do this and seeing the process that everything for the most part is Oklahoma based, it's made with wholesome ingredients And some people might be going like, "How wholesome is sugar?" Well, this is a lot. (laughs) I can hear it to you. This is a lot better for you than if you go down the candy aisle at a grocery store and it's not locally. If you can't
1: pronounce the ingredient, chances are you shouldn't be eating it. And I and I hate to say, I mean we're not like major health nuts. I mean, my husband's a pharmacist, we are health conscious. Um, But we're also realistic in that we can't go through life depriving ourselves of those little indulgences here and there. Because if you do, I mean, like, I've heard stories upon stories of um, friends, kiddos, who are never allowed to have sugar until they're in, you know, in their beyond toddler years and whatever. And then they go to grandma's house and find a bag of Hershey kisses and eat the entire bag in one sitting. And so I think it's just part of our psychology as humans. If you don't allow yourself to have that treat every once in a while, it's a little easier to binge. And that's definitely not a healthy option.
0: 100% agree with you. Like I've been on both. Camps and you know, done really strict clean eating whole 30s. And you know, people listening might be like, Oh, I'm doing January reset, doing whole 30s right now. But yeah, you got to find that balance because if you're super, super strict, like you said, you're not gonna have it. And then when you do have it, you're gonna be like, Oh, this is so good, that whole cake's gone.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) which is why I don't make brownies at home. It starts with the corner pieces and then it goes to the edges and then, oh, what happened to the whole pan? Yeah, I don't make brownies at home for that reason.
0: (laughs) That's what I say with ice cream. It's like, if I want ice cream, I'm going to go out for ice cream.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good, like to be health conscious, to find the balance that I feel a lot of us don't have at different points of time in life. And, you know, some people might for health reasons or whatnot, but when you have a well made, wholesome treats, whatever it might be, I can honestly say that it tastes better and you probably won't want to eat as many Right. as what it would if it was
1: well right. and the flip side you know going back to carmel which carmel isn't the only thing we do it's just kind of how we got started um, but mass produced caramel is 80 to 90%, depending on the company, the recipe, corn syrup. It's, it's very minimal real sugar and definitely not cream. It's usually evaporated milk. If there's, I mean, there has to be dairy added to it for the simple fact that what sets like toffee and caramel apart is adding that fat, which is the cream. Um, so it's kind of those things that like A lot of people will tell me, you know, I don't like caramel. No, thanks. If we're at a pop-up shop or something like that. And I hand them a sample and they're like, oh, this is really good. And that's like, well, this is what caramel was 200 years ago that, you know, the caramel we eat now in the largest sorted box of chocolates. That's very stringy and grainy. It's commoditized. Like it's what they can mass produce for as cheap as they can produce it to pass it by as caramel. So there's a big difference. Um, But that being said, (laughs) I have to make everything in small batches. We don't have large vats and kettles that I can dump hundreds of pounds of sugar and cream and butter and all the other things in at one time. So there has to be a trade-off like anything in, in life and business.
0: And I feel like even in the small batches, like you can see the quality and see everything at a scale where you're like I know this is going to be good I know this is my best work I know this will taste good yep. what's some of your favorite caramels or candy in general that you have created
1: well my favorite candy in general is um good dark chocolate which is why we don't do a lot with dark chocolate because I'd weigh 600 pounds um <laughs> There's also chocolate is also an entire different side to the confectionery industry. And as a small business, you know that we bootstrapped the start of our company equipment to dive into chocolate is incredibly expensive. So, um, you know, with caramel, it started literally at home with a stockpot and a whisk. So Um, Anyway, our signature is the salted whiskey caramel, which is still my favorite of the four flavors we offer Um, our newest is the browned butter and honey, which is quickly gaining popularity um, and probably will surpass our signature flavor I think, you know, living in the middle of the Bible belt there's still kind of a stigma behind having a candy that has whiskey in the name. Um, although the alcohol completely cooks off and it doesn't even taste like a shot of whiskey, it, it leaves a very deep brown sugar flavor in the caramels. So I think that's why brown butter and honey is kind of picking up in popularity there just in, and where we live in the region of the United States. But, um, you know, I really love like I made pecan pralines the other day at the shop um, because a friend of ours owns a Cajun restaurant here in Oklahoma City, and they're getting ready to do a pop-up shop because with COVID, they've you know seen a decline in business. And so um, I made a round of our pecan pralines to be able to just gift those to her so she can add those on as, as a little um, shine of you know gratification to her um, customers that come to this pop-up. So I love pecan pralines. Personally, but that's also because growing up, we spent a lot of time in Louisiana and love pecan pralines from Louisiana. So ours are very much a New Orleans style praline, but they're not on our website because the shelf life on those is much shorter. So that's something we make to order Um, a lot of baby showers or corporate gifting orders and that sort of thing. We can customize those options.
0: Ooh, and on those pralines, are they pretty much like caramel mixed with uh, pecans, or can you describe those to us?
1: Um, the ingredients are very similar, but the cooking temperature is really what kind of sets a praline our pralines apart. Our pralines are a true New Orleans style praline. They've got a little bit of that snap to them, but they're still soft. Uh, I say creamy style New Orleans praline. They're not chewy, like a caramel praline, you know, like in South Texas, you'll get the really chewy, stringy caramel based pralines. Ours are definitely more of a New Orleans style praline. So
0: mm, it all sounds delicious as it's yeah. almost lunchtime here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's I'll protein. You're sugar. good. <laughs> all I want sugar today I, reminds me of elf, but. Curve <laughs> <syrup laughs> <I'm>,
1: on everything.
0: <laughs> yes. Curve, sugar, but those who know me, I stay away from a lot of uh, like big sweet stuff, but I'm good sweets. That's a different story. Right. So with that, what, um, so you started making the caramels and the pralines and it evolved over time. What was one of the biggest things for you, like sort of the hurdles through business that you had to overcome?
1: I think there are always hurdles. Um, you know, first and foremost, we started making our candy in our home just for friends and family. And then once they got them, they started asking if they could purchase them from me. And of course, you know, growing up, I was kind of the goody two shoes and I am not really a rule breaker. So it was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to make sure it's legal (laughs) that I can make a food product. And and in Oklahoma, we have the cottage baker's law that kind of protects those that make things in home, but there's some ramifications within that as well. So I started an Etsy shop. Just as a way to organize orders from friends and family. I did not publish the Etsy shop link publicly. I just shared it privately when people would ask to order. And it was like, okay, I've got to be able, I don't want to take from our family finances for this little thing that I'm just doing for fun. So it was like a way to get credit card payment processed up front when they would place an order. And then of course I could either mail it to them. At the time we were living in the Tulsa area and we're from Oklahoma City. So Um, all of our, a lot of our friends and family that were ordering were here. So it was like, okay, shipping all that jazz. So what was weird and funny and probably a sign from God was within two weeks of having that Etsy shop open, we had 10 orders from people I did not know from all over the nation. And then within a couple of months, we had shipped to 20 to 30 States. Well, within the Oklahoma cottage bakers law at that time, the laws changed a little bit since then you were capped at 25000 in revenue before you were forced into a commercial kitchen. Well, after a year and just kind of walking through those open doors, it was like, okay, it's going to be time. I need to start looking at what it's going to take to make this commercially. And although my husband and I had operated and run businesses as managers in the past, I had never been in the commercial food industry. I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. And so with all the research and everything I tried to do so much gray area of do's and don'ts and state to state and FDA and all of these things. So of course I had some of that research under my belt. And then watching the news one Sunday morning, we caught wind of an incubator program for food businesses in the Tulsa market. So I applied, they accepted us and it was a once a week drive an hour from where we live to the community where the incubator was um, to participate in their classes. And they really went over everything that the health department would require, everything, you know, manufacturing license versus restaurant license and all that good stuff. So we operated out of that incubator commercial kitchen for, I guess it was maybe about six months. Um, Unfortunately, like it was a great launch pad, but the hourly rate of the rental of that kitchen space for our product type wasn't going to sustain a profit. So it was like, okay, that next step, where's that hurdle? Well I was committed to bootstrapping and to not borrow money to grow a business because of all the horror stories we hear about borrowing money in a food business. Um, and was fortunate enough that some friends of ours owned a local coffee shop and they weren't using, they roasted on site, but really weren't using their kitchen at full capacity. So they invited us to come on board and install a commercial stovetop and Um, They had an empty room that we were able to use for packaging and shipping. And that was our next step of growth. Um, And then um, not quite three years ago, um, my husband and I really just had this calling to come home. Um, We were two and a half hours away from friends and family. Um, His dad was in his seventies and still farming full time and just had that calling to be home where we could help and have help with the kids. We also knew that if we wanted to grow the candy business, The very small town that we lived in, although they were incredibly supportive and still have some great connections to that community, um, we knew that if we ever wanted a storefront with the business that it would not sustain long-term there. Um, So that was our choice to come home, but the real hurdle began with that decision and realized just how difficult it would be to get funding to take that next step to open a brick-and-mortar location. So We were promised um, by a couple of different companies that they would support us. And then when push comes to shove, they flat out weren't willing to support a food business, although we had shown strong profits and all that good stuff. So at that point, we'd already made that leap of faith to move home. My husband left his partnership of a pharmacy up there to come home with the promise we would have the storefront open and our world was turned upside down. Um, not only did we lose his dad within a few months of coming home, but we were denied that opportunity to open the brick and mortar that we had worked so hard to get to that point of. So it was almost that like starting over again, where do we go from here? Um, but I still felt like, you know, God led us to come home for a reason and we need to continue to, to move forward. It wasn't a stop sign. It was just a roadblock. Um, so anyway, the last year and a half, I'm back in a coffee shop operating commercially with my state manufacturing license and all that good stuff with a friend of mine that I had lost touch with for years and years. Um, it got to that point when we realized we couldn't open the storefront in our hometown right then that, um, I had been looking online everywhere for a very inexpensive move in ready option and there weren't any. So, I swallowed my pride and posted to Facebook and was like, okay guys, I'm desperate. If I'm going to continue this business, I have to have a place to operate at this point. Um, so a friend of mine commented and was like, Hey, how about Christy?" And I was like, what do you mean? What about Christie? And she was like, well, the coffee shop. And I was like, when did Christie buy a coffee shop? I had no <laughs> idea because we'd lost touch over the years. Right. Um, And, and they were both customers of mine from a previous business. Um, So anyway, the rest is history. We've been operating inside of a a nonprofit coffee shop now for a year and a half to try to regain that momentum and to have that cash flow to open a brick and mortar retail location. Um, So we're, that is our big goal for 2021 is to put, especially Q1 to push forward. Q1 is notoriously our slowest quarter of the entire year. We come off, of, like all retail, come off of that high from the holiday season to almost nothing, <laughs> which can be kind of terrifying sometimes, but um, big push for Q1 for us to be able to um, move into that brick and mortar, create an experience for those visiting Oklahoma or live in the area to come in and, you know, bring their grandkids and um, have a sweet treat. Like I can remember the old pharmacy here in our hometown growing up, daddy and I would go on a Saturday morning at the fountain. They had a um, old school, short order cook fountain and we'd have a breakfast and a chocolate malt, you know, and those are those memories that I feel like as communities are getting bigger, those kinds of places have gone by the wayside. So that's kind of my goal is to create that place that families can create memories together.
0: That is so wonderful. There's so many gems in that story. But I want to tag it along onto that whole candy store fountain shop moment. I grew up in a small rural town here in Indiana. And we have I think it's over 100 years old now. Oh, wow. And they yes. And their big thing that they do. They do all sorts of candy, but they always do candy canes. And they've gotten national exposure for them. They've shipped them internationally, but now it's gotten to the point where they um, have to have orders to even get a candy cane. Like you can go and pick them up, but chances of having any extra are slim because they're working the max that they can. But one of the things that I was going to say is, you know, if you have an experience for people to watch them make make the candy, that's what really attracts like people of all ages because they Absolutely. have the candy cane making on Saturdays mm-hmm. um, from November through December and people just walk in And I've taken video there and I'm just like enamored just at people's reactions. Yeah, absolutely. And hard candy
1: is something we would love to dive into. It's
0: a lost art, (laughs) like, you know and
1: that's why they've been around so long. I'm sure there've been newer companies try to pop up and realize that they, you know either don't have what it takes or, you know that technique, the equipment like is almost obsolete, you know, Um, but yeah, definitely. um, That's something that I have envisioned this like big window where people can just stare into the kitchen. I mean, we're, like I said, I'm not a rule breaker. We're neat freaks. So it's like, I want people to also see into our kitchen to realize that we are incredibly clean and very (laughs) conscious about cross-contamination and all of those sorts of things as well. You know, I always say like, if you walk into a restaurant and they hide the kitchen from you, you might not need to eat there. (laughs) So like to have almost that open door policy of like pop your head in and say hi, you know, but also known from a health safety standpoint, don't cross that line because we can't contaminate the kitchen, you know? So there is kind of that, that borderline, but that is absolutely something that we envision. Um, I want to be able to take on culinary students as interns, um, during their externships because pastry arts of course are there, but we're really different than pastry arts, and to to be able to show culinary students that there's a whole nother side to using your knowledge than savory and pastries.
0: So um, I love to
1: be mentors for young entrepreneurs and and students alike. So that's something we're also looking at.
0: Ooh, that's like a whole pocket of, you know, you can help mentor people and then also have extra hands. Absolutely. The process. And for any business, you know, when you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get extra help.
1: Yeah. Well, and it.
0: even like, reach out, there's always it. people wanting internships. My sister is one of them right now, like hitting everybody up like I need an internship for school. Yeah. Where is it going to be at?
1: Well, and even, you know, this holiday season, we're, while we're still sharing a commercial kitchen until we have our own, I'm kind of in that position where I have to be mindful of um, extra help for my business in that kitchen just from a space and and workflow standpoint but this holiday season, you know, a friend of mine changed industries and went from oil and gas to the insurance world. And he's never really been self-employed before. And so he and his wife were so gracious to come and help during the holiday season, just wrap caramel with me because we hand wrap all of our candy. And we sat there and talked about business the whole time, because in my former world, I was a coach and trainer in the sales industry. So I w- we were able to just kind of go, okay, which I know nothing about the insurance world, but we could parallel some things and talk that through. And you know, it's just nice to be able to sit and have those adult conversations while you're at work <laughs>
0: right. and just
1: know that like they're there to help me, but I'm also helping him just a little bit
0: as well. Definitely. And that's like the whole essence of this show. And we just connecting and seeing where everybody can help each other out. Yep. And it's a time where you know, most of us are disconnected or we're shifting industry as we don't know what's coming next, but there's a way that each and every one of us are connected at the right place at the right time. Like, even though you saw it as a roadblock, you know, of not having your own brick and mortar place right then, there is a reason why you had to be at that coffee shop and at your friend's place and use it as a space for growth. Like, not only for you to grow the business, but look at you, you're helping out friends with business advice and
1: everybody's
0: helping each other.
1: Well, and I always say, you know, it's community over competition. Um, we even work with a local bean to bar chocolate company to cover our caramels. I mean, I just took them a load last night for them to cover for us for Valentine's day. And I could easily be their competition. But rather than that, we collaborate together. You know, they are not in a position to be able to make caramels and toffee in-house to cover with chocolate to sell to their customers. And I'm not in a position to, you know, invest another five or 6,000 in a, a chocolate and rover right now to be able to do that in-house. So we partner, you know, and it works very well for us um they're a newer company so it's like piggybacking on each other a little bit but there might be some overlap but in all reality there's really not because we ship nationwide and they're more of a local foundation so you just have to find that balance you know um but then in business in general you just gotta continue learning you know podcasts books mentorship you can never stop learning
0: teachable there's so many ways with the power of internet of just learning reading a book watching somebody's video maybe one day Melissa is going to teach us all how to make caramels and (laughs) you know like the collaboration is key especially for brands like you don't know who's buying the chocolate, who hasn't tasted your caramel before, yeah. or, and then they're going to be like, Ooh, this caramel's so tasty. I need to buy more of this and who they know. And Absolutely. I mean, it's like a web full of amazingness. And that,
1: that was part of, you know, starting the company. I came from retail management through high school and college, and I knew how difficult that industry was. No matter which segment of retail you come from, it's difficult, especially right now with COVID. So it was like, okay, if I'm going to start this business, we're going to reverse engineer it. We're going to build a very strong back end before we build that front end. Um, and so many people thought I was crazy, but it also allowed us to bootstrap our growth, you know, rather than having thousands of dollars a month in rent. We had hundreds of dollars a month in rent, you know, big difference, but corporate gifting was something I identified, you know, in high school, I worked for a local gift basket company and I saw that side of the business. So it's all about like when you're young, you know, I say this, I always tell people like have good work ethic and leave a job on good terms. Don't job jump. (laughs) On bad terms, but get all the experiences you can, you know, and had I not had the experience of being an executive assistant in high school and then working at a gift basket company and then going to large chain retail management, like I wouldn't be where I'm at today, but seeing that corporate gifting side potential made me identify and realize that not only do I love working one-on-one with other businesses, but as a company Those gifts are going to go and be in the hands of, you know, it might be a small business owner, but a lot of times it's a C-suite executive and they have corporate gifting needs as well more oftentimes than not. So I would say probably two out of a hundred corporate gifts we send, we end up with an email or another customer out of it. So you have to be strategic and smart, you know, and figure out what, uh, how you can diversify without going big from the beginning.
0: Definitely. Another idea that came to mind is the hotel industry, mm-hmm. like boutique hotels that want to have something special for their guests that's different, or maybe, I don't know. the boutique hotels are different from the major chains, right, like right. platinum or diamond members, but being on the road all the time in the past, like that was one of the special touches, you know, they're a little something yeah if it was a smaller place or an airbnb and they put the extra touches in it was like oh, they really care today and it's More not- than
1: mint on the pillow.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not just like another bottle of water, which is great, great at all, but it's like, oh, this is a nice touch. I don't know.
1: I really value when I get those free bottles of water when we travel. Like, you know, we always joke, yeah. like growing up, we stay, like when we would travel, it'd be a quick weekend trip. For my husband and I, both, his dad farmed. My dad worked a lot. Um, he was in the construction industry. And so he traveled a lot with work and was out of town. So we didn't get to vacation but when we did it was like two and three star hotels well you know one of the the perks to working your tail off and, and being self employed is sometimes you get the luxury of staying in a four and a five star hotel but the funny thing is is the higher the stars the less amenities you often get in those hotel rooms <laughs> so you know gone are the continental breakfasts and gone are the breakfast buffets and you know that sort of thing and I value that free bottle of water rather than a little tag being on it saying it's three dollars if you open it.
0: <laughs> I can relate, but sometimes like there's differences I've noticed. You know, in, like the Marriotts with their executive lounges where they sort of comp for that. Yeah. But I've seen yeah. it literally everywhere from like two star hotels to five star hotels. I. But yeah, there's definitely appreciation that goes into it from the hotel that even sort yeah. of lived at a hotel when I was in Barcelona the first time I was there. Um, but yeah, they turned into my family when I was studying abroad. And most people are like, Bobby, you're living in a hotel. And I'm like, it's amazing. I speak Spanish with the manager. We have an hour long conversation. Oh, awesome. um, so yeah, they... There's different levels of hospitality wherever you're at, but I've seen across the board, no matter where you stay at, they always. Well, and
1: I think, you know, there's so much, and I can't remember who said it. I was on a podcast recently and it may have been even a quote out of a book, but it's do for one that you wish you could do for a hundred. And that's so true. Like we try our best to handwrite notes on every single one of our website orders. Um, For our B2B clients, we handwrite enclosure cards on their behalf. Like a little handwritten note is such a lost art, but it means so much to so many people. But every now and then, if I'm seeing that, you know, one of our Instagram followers who is a customer of ours is having a tough time or whatever, we might send them a little treat in the mail or a little handwritten note. Like, Just do for one person what you wish you could do for a hundred others. You know, instead of paralyzing yourself thinking, I want to give to the whole world. Well, we
0: we're not millionaires. We
1: can't do that, but we can brighten one more person's day.
0: I love this. Like you're preaching to the choir here. I was in event marketing. It was all about surprise and delight. Many of the events I worked. And that was literally what brighten my day. Like I would get so much joy out of working 12, 15 hour days, just because I knew I got to surprise 10 to 15 people, Uh, having like incredible experiences, no matter if I was at an Indy car track or, you know, working a golf tournament, but having those moments and seeing the expression and the gratitude afterwards, you never know. Who you're going to meet you never know how one like you, you said you um that you may not be able to change the world but you can change one person right.
1: well and that's right. you know even with corporate gifting we try to encourage companies to i don't want to say to not send a gift during the holidays but if they have a tighter marketing budget to do a surprise and delight campaign and it might be a smaller price point. But that gift is going to stick out much more in their client's mind forever if they send a gift at St. Patrick's Day over Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, Um, and to have that personal touch, you know, I hate to say this. It's like, don't send a promotional item, calling it a gift. Those are not gifts. People don't get excited over you sending another logo travel mug. I'm sorry, they don't. (laughs) Like it goes in the Goodwill pile possibly, you know, so You find that (laughs) that quality, small gift that makes that recipient go, oh my gosh, like they put a lot of thought into picking this item out, you know? Um, But it's like, I tell people all the time, if you're a small company with a limited marketing budget to send a gift, don't send it at the holidays because if it's going to a C-suite exec, they're getting... I don't, dozen of other gifts at the same time. And they may not even have eyes on your card at that time. It might be their assistant. It might go in a pile in the lobby for other employees to take home. So your branding is out the window, you know, but that's kind of that whole mentality, like you said, is like surprise and delight. So pick those times of the year, random times, even it doesn't even have to be tied to a holiday to surprise and delight those that you appreciate.
0: And it's even better, I feel, if it's not tied to a holiday. Yeah, right. Right. So if it's some random date, March 22nd, you know, or, well, that goes along with spring solstice, Uh, but, (laughs) you know, or April 12th, like something super random, you know, even with Valentine's Day coming up and it's a big push for the candy industry and so forth. Right or florists and so forth. My big thing is like, I'm not a huge fan of Valentine's day at all. And exactly. I have a boyfriend and everything. I'm like, don't spend the extra money. Don't do it. Like you show love every single day. It's not right. meant for one special day. Yeah. And the same thing goes in business and in marketing. Like if you can surprise somebody and it doesn't, like you said, doesn't need to be tied to a holiday just because you care about that person or your consumer or a client. Just, you know, search, scroll. If you like caramels, like go to Melissa's website, hit buy now and ship it to them. Like things like that mean so much.
1: Well, Or just in everyday life. If if you're driving down the road and something reminds you of one of your clients, that is the time to send a gift and to include that note of, Hey, Happened to see a billboard about X, Y, Z, and you popped into my mind and just wanted to pop in and say, hi, here's a little sweet treat or whatever it may be. You know, like you really don't have to overthink it. Like you just have to act when it, you think about it. Does that make sense?
0: hundred <laughs> percent. Overthinking is paralysis. Yeah. Like it, it just stops you in your tracks from doing anything. And then you're like, oh, I need to do it. It's going on the to-do list. And it gets pushed further and further and right. Absolutely. So that is solid marketing and sales advice here today. Something that you didn't think that would happen from talking to candy makers. Right.
1: But you know what? <laughs> it doesn't matter what industry you're in or if your your title is sales or not, we're all in sales. We have to sell our own brand. We have to sell our own, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're in sales, bottom line.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like I've grown up with it since I was a little kid. My family had businesses and, you know, dinner table discussions were normally about sales. So it's one of those (laughs) things where I was like, I remember, this is a funny story. I remember I was in fifth grade and I went to school that evening before we were having dinner, sales, marketing talk. And my parents were doing graphic design and paper sales and printing and everything. And then we went to school and the teacher was like, what's a ream? And like, <laughs> no, it to wasn't a ream. term. <laughs> I was like, reams are paper. No, it was we were talking about multiplication and she was like, does anybody know what a gross is? And I was like, yeah, it's 144. And then she was like, I've never in my life had somebody <laughs> know that like that fast. I was like, no, we were talking about it at dinner last night. Yeah. And she knew my parents. She was like, I totally believe you. Like <laughs> you yeah. guys talk about business all the time.
1: <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, even my childhood, you know, my parents never talked to us like kids or babies, you know, even, like growing up very middle class um, and even sometimes lower middle class, depending on the time of the year in Oklahoma, if dad was slow with work or not, um, we lived you know, paycheck to paycheck and like so many people do, but rather than me going, and I, I can remember this vividly Super Nintendo was coming out and my little brother and I wanted a Super Nintendo so bad. And all of our friends were getting Super Nintendos and we couldn't afford one. And I remember dad sitting down with us. Instead of saying no, he explained why. And we sat down with the budget and figured out what we could do to earn that Super Nintendo. And I can remember walking into Walmart and getting that Super Mario Brothers, you know, edition of the Super Nintendo, which I still own, by the way, my kids now play it. (laughs) But, you know, it's like growing up, like those conversations helped me as an adult and kind of jumpstart my entrepreneurship way earlier than you know, some of my classmates probably because their parents didn't afford them that opportunity with those conversations. So it's funny where some of our childhood, like we look back and at the time we were like rolling our eyes and frustrated and bored out of our minds. But then you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much, mom and dad. (laughs)
0: Like I appreciate it so much. Like I soak things up like a sponge Yeah, and having these conversations, I've met people who like you said, like, haven't had these conversations when they walk into it, it's a whole new world. And Mm -hmm. you're like, no, it's dinner time. Like, let's talk about what happened. Or if there's, you know, my mom's still in business and she used to have a travel agency and so forth. Like we've been around it for ages. And so it's like inherent. And then you look at other people and you're like, Oh, you didn't talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. Well, it's
1: kind of, you know, I don't want to say college degrees are overrated because they're not, they have their place, um, especially depending on your career path. But I would much rather take somebody that grew up um, with parents that explain things like mine that has no degree at all and has motivation and drive to learn than I would somebody that you know, went to college because mom and dad paid for it and really don't have a passion for their MBA or whatever it may be. I mean, there's a vivid difference between the two. And again, I'm not saying that college degree doesn't have a place. They do have a place, but it really depends on the person, you know, and I think there are just as many, if not more successful people, millionaires out there with no degree as there are with some. So you just have to know your strengths and weaknesses.
0: And also if you have a passion for something and you act on that passion or are actively doing it and finding a way to succeed, whatever your definition of success is, Mm -hmm. I feel like when you learn from people that have those qualities, it's totally different than somebody who is a hundred percent disconnected, they hate their job, they might be good at it, But that vibe of like, I hate my life. I don't know why I'm doing this today, but i got to make a hundred sales calls this week and hopefully a few of them sign on, you know,
1: and not everyone is born to be an entrepreneur, but I will say this, if you hate your job, find something else. Like life is literally, and I know that's easier said than done in, in a lot of situations, But there are little things you can do to get to that point. Life is incredibly way too short to be miserable in your job. You know, it literally breaks my heart when I see Facebook posts from friends of mine that talk about the misery of their career. And it's like, can I just like have a conversation with you and let's pick apart what you are passionate about and see if there's a path you can take, like a side gig for a little bit, you know, which is so cliche, but you know, sometimes we have to start in baby steps, but it's like, if you hate Sundays, because you are not looking forward to Monday morning, you're not doing something right. Like you either need to change your attitude or you need to change your job. One of the
0: two. Something Um, major is wrong. Yes. Like if that is happening, if you're listening to this and you're like, that is me, I don't know what to do. Seriously. If
1: If you have kids at home, your kids are watching.
0: So you have to,
1: you, you have to think about who's watching you with these situations. And if your kids are watching you be miserable, all it's doing is encouraging them to choose a miserable path as they grow older. So you have to set that example and, And just be that open book for your family of, Hey, I'm, I'm not happy. Like, what can we do as a family to get through this while I find something that I am very happy at, whether it's a new, a business or whether it's a new job, (laughs) it doesn't matter. Don't be miserable.
0: Yes. Send us a DM. I, my DMs are always open. Send me an email. Like I'm more than happy to chat with somebody. If it's, if you're going through this and you're like, I don't know what to do yeah. I live for the weekends. I don't want to go to work in, on Monday. Monday
1: is my favorite day of the week. And people think I'm crazy. And that's because
0: I've been so blessed to truly find something I love. With that being said, as we segue, what's one of the most joyful parts of your day?
1: Um honestly, just communication with our customers. (laughs) I'm a people person. What's funny is I'm actually an introvert. (laughs) People are like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. I'm I'm really an introvert, believe it or not. But my favorite is really just interacting with customers, you know, getting to know them as friends, because honestly, um, they're important to me there. I want, and it's not just from like a psychology of like, okay, who are you to make my avatar to grow my business? It's I truly want to get to know people and um, I, I love knowing people from all over the world and all over the country and I just hope that I bring a little bright spot if they're having a rough day, but more importantly like to show the appreciation uh, because they're the reasons we're growing and getting where we're at. And if we can grow and get where we have this vision, we're supporting more small businesses through our supply chain and we're able to employ more people. So it's kind of this big symbiotic relationship, but it's my bright spot, like um, getting a DM from a customer or getting an email reply or reading the reviews on our website. You know, it's kind of that after a very long, like in the Christmas season, when we're in the kitchen 12 to 16 hours a day, Getting that review is kind of that carrot that goes, okay, I'm physically exhausted, but I have to keep going, <laughs> you know. I want right. to keep like, going I'm for these. People. My day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It pushes you forward to keep going. Is it harder right now to have those customer experiences? Or is most of your business still online where you get the emails that are like, I love this, or the unboxings or
1: Yeah, because we've not had a brick and mortar, um, in a lot of ways, nothing has changed for us. Um, other than that, the fear of the unknown that so many small business owners have right now, the biggest thing I miss right now is trade shows and pop-up shows that, you know, we're hoping in 2021, some of those will safely happen again. There are a lot of large, you know, home and garden shows and industry trade shows that we would go to promote corporate gifting and whatnot. I miss that interaction. I miss going and doing those events. Um, but at the same time, I know that there's a time and a place for that. And, and until they can safely happen again, it, it's not. But um, I crave that interaction. You know, even just being out in the Oklahoma City community to go to networking events again—like I'm chomping at the bit,
0: ready to go. <laughs> so, yeah, Love to be my friends, I'm ready. Right, right. right. Like,
1: like no offense, but I'm over Zoom. <laughs> I want to be able to hug you, Bobby. I mean, obviously we're not in the same state, but you know, so anyway, it's a little different here in Oklahoma. I feel like than other, you know, States and communities, some things are starting to open back up in that world. And, you know, it's just different right now, but I think we're, we are all craving that human interaction. So
0: definitely. I mean, I am very similar to you, like super people person. I love meeting people at coffee shops. And there was a point this summer and I was in Houston and staying with family. And I was like, guys, like, I need friends. I love you all, but like, (laughs) I need somebody else like to talk to. And they're like, well, uh, coffee shops, they're still closed. I don't know. Go for walks, go for runs like you would normally do. And I was like, I've been, I've been waving at everybody, like trying to make friends. And then it got to the point where I was sitting like on the back patio and I had seen these uh, two guys walk consistently through the neighborhood when I would go on runs and I'd see him over like when I was having coffee outside and I was like, I need to know these people's names. <laughs> I just introduced myself. So I was like, hi, I see you literally every morning. I see your son when I go out on runs. Like, I just need to know your name so I can say hi the next time. And we had like a 10 minute conversation and he was like, oh yeah, you've probably seen my wife. She walks alone, but she's out and about. I was like, oh, I totally know who she is. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah, well, and you know, I think more than anything, COVID has made us realize in some ways how much social media has not replaced human to human interaction. You know, like for the last five or six years, we've heard all these people, oh, social media has replaced the world. And, you know, some of the older generation hates it and whatever if anything, this proves that humans crave like in-person reaction. Like that's what God created our creatures to be. Like we're not solitary animals. Um, and I think that once things do safely open back up again, we're going to see a lot of people drop off social media and value being able to be with each other again, you know, or at least I hope that's what happens, you know, have like, more of a balance. Right, right. Yeah, And and then the flip side is, as a business owner, you know, who's had to pivot and and change the way they operate business right now to survive, you know, it's kind of made me go, okay, first of all, all of our eggs can't be in one basket. Second of all, um, thank goodness for social media, because if it weren't, you know, we'd really be in trouble, you know, it's, it's difficult. And like, I even told my husband, it was at least five years ago. I started to naturally watch this gravitation, especially in Oklahoma, of people not wanting to do business with large chains as much anymore, whether it's the grocery store, the pharmacy, the hardware store, so many people on Facebook griping and complaining about a lack of customer service and realizing that big chains were ruining our interactions and how we do business. And so I told my husband back then, I said, I see this kind of shifting. I said, but it's gonna take a violent shove of some sort For people to realize that large chains have killed mom and pops and we really need those mom and pops because, you know, what is it like 65% of employment is all through small business in America. So what happens with something like COVID when a lot of these businesses shut forever, you know, we're hurting a lot of communities and here is that violent shove, you know, unfortunately so many have had to pay the price of that violent shove But I think more than anything, everyone's seeing the value in doing business with a small business over a large chain through COVID because it's their neighbor's career that's in jeopardy or, you know, their mom's best friend's business that's in jeopardy or whatever it may be, rather than a board exec that you don't even know from another state. So
0: support local.
1: Absolutely. That's
0: all I've got to say. Like these times I've worked for larger brands, you know, helped out small brands as well, but it's the time, like, you know, help your neighbor like this. I can
1: promise you that our team does a little happy dance, no matter if you're buying one $13 box of caramels, or if you're buying, you know, our $75 gift set, we, we do a little happy dance with every single order that comes through because it means that we can, you know, support one more business. It means that we can, you know, support payroll or whatever it may be. So, you know, like think of that when you're supporting a local business, somebody behind a screen or behind the doors is doing a happy dance (laughs) and you don't want to see me dance. I promise.
0: (laughs) Oh, we do. do. I want to see that post later. of like, You guys check in. I don't know what your back end is, but if it's (laughs) Shopify app and it comes through and then everybody is back there dancing.
1: Yeah, definitely. For sure. That's
0: what we all want to see. Melissa, what's one of the biggest blessings over the past year for you?
1: Um, Really that violent shove for others to have supporting local on their radar. Um, We've thankfully had some national media exposure that we're doing segments on that specifically. And that's helped tremendously. Um, Now we just have to hope that it keeps on going and that we can do our part to continue to earn those customers to come back to us. So um, probably that media
0: exposure has been the biggest blessing for us the last year. Amazing. Where can people find more out about you, about the candy company?
1: Sure, our website. or social media. um, dot net is our website. Um, I know it's a mouthful, so please don't cuss at me while you're typing our website name out, but you can click a very easy link just by following us on Instagram or Facebook right from those profiles. (laughs) So, um, we'd love to to see you and and LinkedIn, of course, you can reach out to me personally on LinkedIn. We also have a business page on LinkedIn. Um, I've been trying to be a little more active on that platform because I love learning from other colleagues around different industries.
0: Wonderful. Well, I will make sure to tag the website, social media links will all be in the captions and show notes wherever you're watching or listening to this episode at, and you can connect with Melissa and all of her candy, caramel, um, pralines, deliciousness in your life. See them on your screen and get motivated to buy some and have some in your life too. Melissa, this has been such a joy having you on the show today. Thank you Thank so you. much for joining. Yeah, us. I'm
1: so glad we found each other through LinkedIn.
0: Yes, this has been amazing. For everybody who is watching today, I just want to leave you with this. If you are going out and buying something today, I don't care if it's food, a hair salon, retail, candy, you name it, try to support local do your part, help out the local businesses in your neighborhood. And you know, somebody out there is doing that happy dance as well as Melissa's doing when the orders come through. And to
1: challenge that one step further, Bobby, anytime you make a shopping list or your to-do list, and it's something that you need to go and purchase, think to yourself, challenge yourself, one in five items on that list. What can I do to buy local? Um, Whether it's a new doorknob, (laughs) you know, like can I buy this local? And if you can, please go buy it local. Um, Yes, large companies need your money too. They do employ local, but more of the money that is spent with a local business will stay local versus shopping with a large chain. A lot of that money goes to an entire different state and community before it's a little bit of it's funneled back through to your community. So um, look at that list and ask yourself, you know, I want a soda while I'm out running errands. Okay, what gas station is local? Um, you know, for us in Oklahoma, we're fortunate to have Love's country stores, <laughs> you know, and you yes. and, and some of those others that are local. So it's like I always choose those gas stations over a larger gas station. So um, just be a little more conscious about where your dollars go.
0: Yes. Shop local today, guys. This has been another amazing episode of Coffee with Bobby with Melissa Wedman. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have an amazing day. Bye, guys.